Ah, that's right. Basketball fans everywhere. Appreciate you guys for joining me. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know exactly what this is. Tate's take. As you know, we like to call it the best, the most informational, the most educational, and the most entertaining basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. Follow along on all social media platforms at Tate's Take Hoops. Hashtag where basketball lives. That wasn't good. Uh, And then uh, as well as um be sure to uh let everyone know where to subscribe uh that would be tate's take uh the podcast anywhere that you find your favorite podcast and so you know it's it's that time uh i guess and then there were four the road ends here blah 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 um final four has uh officially arrived as it's right around the corner coming up this weekend got some really good matchups and got a really good guest that's going to be joining me as well so without further ado let's get ready to bring him in here and uh always as as always and per usual appreciate him for joining what we call the locker room here for episode 72 of uh takes take the podcast dallin cuff broadcaster and college basketball studio analyst for espn make sure you give him a follow at dallin cuff that is at d-a-l-e-n-c-u-f-f uh dallin how you doing bro i'm doing well man you're right down to four uh it's been a long haul and i mean i didn't have to sacrifice much compared to everything the players did and everybody else did so thank (laughs) them for getting us here and uh, that's been fun and let's let's tip this thing up and get it going i know i'm excited about it um you know, it's it's a, like you said, it's a long time coming, obviously. And, uh, you know, with everything in the pandemic and so forth, are you let me start off with this. Are you a little bit surprised that, you know, we haven't had uh, as many cases? Obviously, the VCU game was um, was was canceled, obviously. But is any of that surprising and just speak to, you know, the testament of uh, what it's been like for us? You know, how good of a how good of a thing that that actually is? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, only having one, I guess, is somewhat of a surprise. But but I do think, obviously, the, the NCAA, I have a lot of things to say about how the NCAA handles NIL or their transfer wire or all these other waivers and all the other things, all the problems with the NCAA. But running running championships is what they do. Logistics is what they do. Um, and they handled this as well as they could, given the fact that we're still in the midst of the global pandemic. VCU situation was unfortunate. Obviously, not just them, though. KU was was canceled, was impacted by COVID, no doubt. Getting their guys or, or, or not having guys fully fully back and ready to go. Um, I think USC wins that game either way. But let's be honest. I mean, David McCormick come, showing up Friday, playing on a Saturday, and then again on Monday is not the best. Jalen Wilson kiting in for 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 a Monday game ain't the best. Uh, and obviously UVA, they got that they had their issues Friday morning. They arrived, they play Saturday night, and they 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 lose to an Ohio team and. So it's it's not it's somewhat surprising. It was only one game not played. The impact was still felt. In retrospect, I wish the conferences and the NCAA could have worked a little better to make a, make a little bit more of a buffer there. So the conferences got their money and got their champ week, and the NCAA got their tournament, and their protocols met, and we didn't have a UVA or didn't have a KU. But you can complain about a million things this year. The fact that we're here and we're actually going to have a Final Four, and we got to see all these games. They were great and entertaining. Um, and we all should be thankful for that, and I know I am. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'm somewhat surprised only one game was outright canceled. But, again, that's mm-hmm. assessment to what the NCAA did and all the sacrifices from all the people, all the work that went into these things uh, to get this thing to this point. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised, but but thankful at the same time. For sure. And me, me as well, obviously, being a very huge uh, 
uh, avid college basketball fan and so forth and just working within this business, having the opportunity to finally have this thing. I'm a little envious as I'm in Atlanta, uh, so we didn't get a chance to have it <laughs> yeah. on last year. Still yeah. in my feelings about that a little bit, but I guess uh, <laughs> considering the alternative, it could definitely be worse uh, because we are going to have a chance to see some games be played this year. And I want to start off with this one now that we're is in it our going, kind of – Is uh, it going back to Atlanta in like 2024? Did they like a makeup for that or something? Am I, I – I, not to my knowledge, uh, okay. but I will say enough to say that in the event and hopefully keeping our fingers, toes, eyes crossed, everything else, <laughs> that we don't have to be put in this situation again. But in the event that we do, I still like to think that if we have to kind of emulate uh, what the what in, what they're doing in Indiana, you can bring it back here. You can bring it mm -hmm. back to Atlanta where you do have you know State Farm Arena where the Hawks play. Uh, you have um, Georgia State for what that's right worth there. as well. That's yeah, right I mean, there, yeah. Georgia, uh, Gwinnett, uh, uh, in, um, in Gwinnett County, they have another arena similar to like one of the ones that they have in Indiana as well. I mean, there's Emory. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of different places all over the place that you can uh, definitely bring this thing to. I don't know. Hopefully the NCAA is watching. So maybe that's putting a little bug in their ear uh, <laughs> as we are previewing. Let's start out with the, with the first game of uh, that's going to be taking place uh, this upcoming weekend, national semifinal game, number one seeded Baylor, number two seeded Houston, keeping it within the Lone Star state taking place on Saturday, 5, 14 P Eastern standard time on CBS. Uh, what are the, uh, what are the keys to victory that you would say for this game? Is there anything that kind of sticks out to you particularly uh, that would give maybe Houston a little bit of a better chance than maybe some people will be giving them? Well, the thing Houston always does is they, they, they are physical and they're going to guard and they, they impose their will on teams a lot. And they'll, they'll take you out of what you want to do. They make you uncomfortable, make you feel them. Well, ironically, Baylor does the same thing, on the, from particularly from a guard standpoint. Um, so really, it's whoever rises and, 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 and is comfortable and playing through that physical challenge. We know Houston can impose it on people. They haven't been challenged at the same level, though, Tate. Let's be real. They've only played one team, one team in the Ken Palm top mm -hmm. flow, in the top uh, 30. That was Texas mm -hmm. Tech. And they, mm -hmm. they, they won that game. It was a, a slog back in, I think, early <laughs> November, uh, late November, early December. Um, but that, that team challenged them physically. They were there for that and Ray, ro rose to that challenge. But that's a long time ago. They beat Memphis a couple times. It was a top 40 team. But they are not gonna, they've not been challenged. They've not seen guys like Baylor that I think will rise and want that physical challenge. And then on the offensive end, can go get buckets. Like they played in the American Conference, there weren't that many outstanding offensive teams or players. So when they could have, they could take one guy out of a game, you're good. You saw even with Buddy Beheim in Syracuse. They took him out of the game. They took Ethan Thompson out of the game for Oregon State and allowed them to control the game on that defensive side of the ball. If you take out – if if you could take out Jaron Butler, there's obviously Davion Mitchell and Macy O.T. and Adam Flagler. And you can just keep ripping me Nate. You may or you can keep going through guys that can go, go create for themselves, create for them teammates and play together. So I think it's who raises to, the, to that to that challenge, the physical challenge. And then Baylor is it's it's a different level. Can Houston then be able to stop those guys? But then they've got to be able to score. And that's been a problem for them all year. They're not a very efficient offense and they're not a great shooting team. They're one of the best rebounding teams in the nation. Second in offensive rebounding rate. But again, some of those numbers are inflated by some of the teams they played. They have to impose that will on the glass as well on Baylor. They have better success with that, but their first shot offense has to be good, and I'm not sure it'll be good enough outside of Quentin Grimes to make enough buckets to, to, to beat Baylor. Sure, and I think that that's another piece, something that I was thinking about anyways, is that, hey, you know, when you're looking at this Houston team, they obviously appear to be kind of like 
undersized a little bit, if you will. Uh, and while Baylor d- has some size, I'm not sure that they have as much as some people think. I think it's because they play so hard and so yeah. many guards that they have play much bigger than they are. Where they do have some 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", guys, they play like they're 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", type of deal. Uh, and that's where I think that maybe Jonathan Chachua, uh, uh, Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, try saying that three times fast, uh, can be very um, – uh, can be a very critical piece, obviously, to what they want to do if they run up on a much bigger team. I want to move forward now uh, over to the other game that's going to be taking place, Wild Wild West uh, National Semifinal <laughs> Game, number one, Gonzaga, number 11, UCLA, Saturday, 8.34 p. Eastern Standard Time on CBS. I was just like facetiously joking around with a buddy of mine earlier where he was like, you know, prior to the Michigan game, obviously, of all the upsets that we thought we were going to see, we thought that we were going to have like all ones. Um, we never knew that we were going to have all ones in one, two, I yeah. guess, technically. This is just kind of like my little corny side, if you will, Dallin. Um, we are still getting all ones in oh, a two, I guess. Wait, I nice guess job, in, in nice it, I know, in its own <laughs> way. I'll let you borrow that sometime. All right. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the uh, the keys uh, to the victory, to keys to victory for, for both of these teams. I mean, people aren't, aren't going to give UCLA much of a shot. It's yeah. crazy to see that what they've done kind of reminding us not only by getting to the final four of 2011 from VCU, but even more so the run that George Mason kind of went on, which was extremely yeah. unexpected. I feel like this was similar. And both of those teams went through Michigan State in the first round or first four, first game, if you will. What are the uh, keys to victory for both of these teams that you see as of today? Well, the big difference, I just from a, like a, a perception standpoint, is obviously George Mason and VCU were remarkable situations, and they were CAA schools that people didn't maybe didn't know. I mean, UCLA is about as blue as a blue blood gets. So, so the fact that they made this run from an 11 seed is has been mind boggling. Let's be real, I, I I I picked them to lose every single game of the way. I think every single game along the way, I did not think they were going to win. I will say this: the guys have bought into what McCronin's about, and it is defense and toughness. This team is, was not a good defensive team all year. But they've played well in the last three games in particular defensively. Last night against Michigan, whether they switched on Hunter Dickinson and were able to front the post and pressure the ball, or they didn't switch and they stayed with their guys and they got back, their rotations were tight. Um, they played with a level of commitment that was that, that you, you hadn't seen from them for the majority of the Pac-12 season, to be honest, especially down late. I mean, they swooned four straight losses. They had the title in their hands. They, they let it slip right through. And in a weaker Pac-12, I say weaker, but obviously we just saw what they've done in the tournament. So. I guess I have to table that a little bit, but um, in, in terms of what they have to do in this game, obviously everything at pace is so big. They play a bottom 30 pace of the nation. Gonzaga plays top five. Gonzaga scores historically like I've never seen in my lifetime. I, I mean, it really, if you can go back to like UNLV teams that I can, I can vaguely remember at six years old, I remember watching those with my pops and just being like, these dudes are bad, but I didn't know why. I just said that they were bad. Like this, this team is different because you can see how they flow from offense and how they flow from defense into offense into their secondary. And they're so, so comfortable as they move through mm-hmm. and just play well. They just pass outstanding. They're, they're willing passers to share the ball. So can you keep them out of transition? Can you mm-hmm. make it a half-court game? That's first for UCLA. Can their defense be as on point and together as it has been? Um, and can you continue to have guys like Johnny Juzang last night? He was, their whole, he, was the, he was their whole offense. Like when he wasn't in the game for a minute, I was like, how are they going to score? But he, right. he, was just get, he was getting them buckets. And I, you don't want to rely on that. But he has to have an outstanding performance. You know, Jules Bernard's had great games in this tournament. He has to have a great performance. Uh, Jaime Jaquez, like everybody has to play at their mm-hmm. absolute best, at their mm-hmm. absolute best. And then hope Gonzaga doesn't have a good night. That's that's where I think the disparity between these two teams is. When you get, you get to Baylor-Gonzaga, I don't think they need Gonzaga to play bad to win. 
I think they have to play whoever has to win that game. To beat Gonzaga, you got to be excellent. But yes. what are you asking of the Zags? I think UCLA sure. needs the Zags to be off. They have to be outstanding. And it's about pace. It's about defense. And then it's about making shots and getting buckets. Because you got to beat them in the 80s, man. You can't, you can't, yep. you can't play them in the 70s because they're not going to end up there. Mm-hmm. No, that makes for a very good point. And just what you're talking about as far as um, as far as UCLA goes and talking about the job that Mick Cronin has done with making these guys a lot tougher. And I don't think that it's necessarily a secret that when you start thinking about Pac-12 and West Coast basketball, it being a little bit more uh, about skill set than it is the toughness, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just him bringing that culture over. And I remember from the very beginning of him getting there that he's like, you know what, when we're practicing and things like that, we're not going to have any representation of UCLA be, until we get to a point where we are much more physical, much more aggressive and not really in that soft mode. And it's definitely showing now two, three years later um, that, you know, it, it's certainly paying off. Uh, Dallin Cuff, obviously a broadcaster and college basketball studio analyst for ESPN, stepping in to join in with us um, for just a couple more minutes. I want to talk about maybe the X factors uh, for each of these teams very briefly. Uh, who would you say that the X factors, depending on, you know, what it may, if it determines whether they lose or win either of these teams, who would that really depend on the most? That's a good question. I mean, for, for UCLA, the X factor would probably be Tiger Campbell. I mean, because I mentioned the other guys have to have great games scoring the ball. Well, he has to have a great floor game and, and, and pacing of the team and command mm -hmm. of the game from the offensive standpoint, particularly. Mm -hmm. You cannot push the pace. You, you, you do not want to push the pace. you got to be smart when you go. Opportunistic at times. Turnovers, yes. But he's got to be really smart in getting guys into stuff, understanding how to, how, to, how to not force a bad position, make the right, real smart plays. And his teammates also, have to, you got to take good shots because a bad shot is the first pass in your opponent's fast break, especially for Gonzaga. So you got to be able to take good shots. So he's got to run his team and run them at a really elite level. And at times, he's going to have to go get buckets, have to hook up guys. and He's got to run the team at a high level. So Tiger Campbell will probably be my guy, you probably mix in Cody Riley there too, because how you defend Drew Timmy, and if you're able to contend contend with him, and then if you can try to punish him at all on the other side, that 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 is a massive matchup. Obviously, that was what was interesting too. I think we always talk about, and we have to do it too. When I say we at ESPN, like I understand the, the the love of the NBA and the desire to know what's next, and, and talking about lottery picks all the time. But the NBA is a futures market, and you saw Evan Mobley might be a, a future bet that he's probably going to pay off pretty big. But Drew Timmy is right now. He is the he is the present because he he owned him. And when he wanted from the very beginning, he wanted to go at him and score past him, around him, over him, through him. It didn't matter. And he was mm -hmm. dominant. So if Cody Riley, how they def how they defend Drew Timmy, and if because you got at times it's not just a one on one battle, but Cody Riley's got to be really good. And if he can punish him at all on the other end, the best way to defend Timmy is to get him a couple fouls and get him on the bench. So that would be an important piece. Um, but the Zags from an X Factor standpoint. It's really hard because, I mean, they got three All-Americans. It's like, I mean, you got Joel Ai, like he, he fits so perfectly into what they do because he doesn't he need does. the ball. He'll go get your rebound. He'll get you an assist. He's, defensively, they were they were so good defensively against USC. They have been all year. They're top 10 in defensive efficiency. We just never talk about it because their offense is so good. But they, mm -hmm. they they will gamble at the right times. They're in their gaps. They go for steals. They're, they're smart. They play together. They rotate well. Sometimes they do gamble. But those gambles sometimes really pay off. They're smart, mm -hmm. athletic you know, in, uh, anticipatory players that can make the right decisions at the right time. So from an X factor standpoint, I don't think they need one. And then that game, at least. Uh, let me ask you this. I, I, first of all, I feel like, especially when you're mentioning trying to prevent uh, Timmy from getting into foul trouble and going deep down the bench, man, I think you might've been 
sneaking in here overnight, man, taking a peek in at the answer key, dude. I'm going to have to start locking my doors <laughs> up at night uh, because that's been one of the biggest things for me, uh, you know, and, and just in terms of looking at Drew Timmy, maybe not going to the bench. I don't think they play very many guys, maybe about seven at the most. Yep. God forbid that a guy, a point guard in uh, Jalen Suggs, who hasn't looked like much of a freshman all season, picks mm -hmm. the wrong time to look like a freshman. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, this is, listen, Kentucky got to this point about six years ago, yeah. uh, 38 no, and everybody was just giving this thing to them. Um, and then even more so, listen, I don't know if you're with me on this, Dallin. Maybe you can help me out a little bit as I get ready to ask you about the next question. But I've been the person that has been saying, listen, I'm not going to get burned by Gonzaga again. I'm going to pick them this year. <laughs> if they don't do it this year, you don't have to worry about me putting them on my bracket ever again. They can they can be in a, a, a bracket setting with 67 other pal. Do they play pal league where you're from? Yeah, we're in Pittsburgh. Yeah, the pal team was good back in the day. Yeah, they they like were really. Rivals, I, man. They were good. I, that's what I'm saying. It could be pal, church league, yeah. recreation. They will never have to worry about me taking them again. I, am I totally off base with you? And then this is my other part of the question. Do you have any real concerns about Gonzaga? What kind of team will it take to beat them? Because honestly, I'm not sure that I've heard very many concerns about this team. Well, let me start first. Yeah, I, I picked them in the last tournament we did have. I mean, the last tournament we did have, I picked Gonzaga to win. They, did, they didn't win. But I picked them probably three or four times in the last five or six years. They went to the final the one year. Um, so, yes, if they don't win this, I'm sorry. I'm not on board with you, though. Because they're still that, that team's ridiculous. The program's great, okay. and it's hard to win six games. It's hard to win yep. six in March and early April. So if they don't win at all, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to pick them in the future. I would pick whoever I think is going to win. So I will not feel scorned by by the Zags if they don't get it done. I will feel disappointed for them because history of our country, we forget when you have that one and you don't win a title. People forget pretty easily, man. Like people don't remember mm -hmm. that UNLV team, the one in '91. They won the one. Remember the one the championship the year before '92. Excuse me, remember '91. They remember won the team on the championship the year before. They don't remember the Kentucky team you just mentioned that was undefeated and lost in the Final Four because they lost. So I would feel bad for them if they don't get it done. How they don't get it done is I think Baylor's the only team that can really give them a proper fight, and primarily because of what we talked earlier, the guards. They're able to potentially defend those guys and then make them pay on the other end. Um, they might be able to to to. They don't really have guys that are going to go at Timmy with the ball, like Flo Thamba or Everyday John, Jonathan Chamo Chachua. You're not going to throw them to the ball in the block and let them go to work on Timmy. But they get got a lot of guys driving to the rack making plays. But again, if you can pick up some foul trouble on him, but they have some, their bigs are pretty versatile too. You might be able to step away and defend him. Also, just 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 make him feel you a little bit more. You have to make Gonzaga feel you, and Baylor's going to mm -hmm. do that. And then the question is, how do they respond to that? The only team that really meant them physically was WVU back in December, and they were trailing mm -hmm. that game by four or five at the break. And that was what Oscar Sheba was still on the team, and they played mm -hmm. with the two twin towers of him and Derek Culver, and they, they're they going to beat you up, and they're going to get on mm -hmm. the glass. But mm -hmm. it wasn't that they were able to overcome that. But it took some time, and Timmy did struggle with that adjustment. So you wonder how physical they will be able to be with him, how the game's going to be officiated. But you got to make them feel you, take them out of transition. They don't really have weaknesses, but it's can you, can you, can you exploit, can you, can you outplay them essentially? And the Baylor's the only team I think they can outplay them in terms of being able to defend them, make them feel you, and then score on the other side with them too. Because again, the, the Baylor guards, it's, it, both of them kind of live in this air in my mind a little bit historically. Like Gonzaga's offense, just as it is, has been historically good. But Baylor's mm -hmm. guards, we don't see a compilation of not just three or two or three, but four dudes that can go and they can play. They play together. Yeah. They can go off the bounce over and over, and they can get they can get shut down, and they'll wheel it. Mitchell wheel it right back out. Here we go again. And like you usually don't see that. Like it's gonna go yep. right back at you and usually wins that battle the second time around. So 
Um, they, they, those dudes have been notably how there's notable how great they are from a historic standpoint in recent memory as a group. So I think when you have those two things against each other, you have to be able to outplay them. And I think Baylor's the only team that can do that. And may and and of course, like I said, slow the tempo down, make them feel you. Yeah, I got a good feeling, especially looking at Mark Vidal. I feel like every year they've always got at least one dude that kind of reminds me of Rico Gathers, one of those space yeah. eaters or something like that. Very well-built type guy. And when it comes to uh, Gonzaga, obviously, uh, you know, they're very free-flowing and there's no egos on this team. They're kind of been staying in their own lane all season, not worried about what everybody's talking about uh, in terms of their scheduling and West Coast Conference and so forth. Yeah. I'm going to ask you one last question before we get ready to get you up out of here and do our um, – uh, one of our special segments that we have. Uh, what should we? I'm not sure that I want to go that route. Let's let, let's give them something a little bit more difficult. Hey, guess okay. what? This thing has been going up uh, over probably like 1,100, 1,200. I think last time I checked, it was at like 1,043 transfers uh, in a transfer portal. I think Cole Swider just entered uh, not too long ago, mm -hmm. earlier this morning. What do you just, in general, as general as it could possibly be? or maybe concerns that you have about what we're looking at in terms of the future of college basketball, looking at all these transfers. Cause I really do believe we might end up getting somewhere close to like 1500. Which when you think about this Tate, like if you look at 13 scholarships per team and just like rudimentary math, it's somewhere like 4,000 and change, almost maybe 4,500 roughly college basketball players. Mm. That's a third of college basketball players will be in the transfer portal. I think you're right. I think we're going to get to 1500, maybe North, which is, which is wild. It's going to be about around that number It's crazy. Mixed in with all the seniors now that can come back. You got mm -hmm. freshmen coming That's right. in. That's I, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm a proponent of the transfer waiver wire waiver. I don't think, I think if coaches be able to do it, you should be able to do it one time. I of course think seniors should have a chance to come back, even though everything they went through this year, whatever's going on, if you opted out or whatever. Um, but I do feel for coaches trying to rock, manage their rosters right now. Cause this, sure. you know, the portal is, it's K. I, I literally don't know. We've been asked, well, what do you think about this team next year? I don't know. I have no clue, mm -hmm. Like you don't know mm -hmm. who's going to be on the team. So I can't answer that question. <laughs> so I, I do think it's it's a concern just in terms of manning it this year. And then if the trend continues and, and I, I'm not one of the guys that's like, hey, you know, if it's the first sign of trouble, these guys are quitting, you know, da, 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 da. you may want a better experience. You may you may play a lot like you, you may have grown in, in your role, whether it be Kadari Richmond at Syracuse or or Walker Kessler at North Carolina and realize that next year you could be a big time player. But maybe you don't you don't like that experience. You want to have another experience. OK, I don't know. I have no problem with that. But I sure. think that there is an element of a societal situation where I do think there's a level of, like, I think I've been played in the last, I graduated in 06. The last, like, transferring was abnormal then. Like, that was not a common thing. It's become much more commonplace in the last decade. So I do think there's a societal thing that if I, the grass is always greener, has become yep. much more prevalent in our society, period. I think sports is a, is a, is a microcosm of society. It's a reflection of society. So it, as we're moving this way in one way, of course, sports will look the same way. So I think there's a, there's a level of, Will these young people make the right decision or are they looking for something easy? Is grass always greener? Because when you get there, a lot of times it's not. So it's I just not. hope they're making the right informed decisions a lot of times. And, and, and if it, whether it's a challenge or a specific experience, really think it through and not think that it's always going to be better elsewhere because it's not always the case. And if they do give you the waiver one time, you, you should probably you value that and not, and not try to you, – you got to make the right move and the right decision. So um, I think it's a tough thing for coaches. I think it's an interesting reflection of society. And I don't know who the hell's playing next year on which team. And I'll tell you what, I'm not even messing around with it now. You tell me in August and I'll figure it out September. Cause I can't, my brain, I can't keep up with all this. I guess yeah. I, I can't even like try to get inundated in it. I'll wait till we get around and start studying teams, talking to coaches and right before the fall. And we'll figure out who's playing where and go from there.
Yeah, I know. It's a lot to keep up with, man. I tell you, I tell people all the time, they're like, how do you keep up with this? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, you, 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 you can only keep so much in this mind of yours. Meanwhile, I don't even know where my wallet is at or my driver's <laughs> license right now. Yeah. Uh, I want to jump into something real quick before we get you up out of here. It is essentially kind of like a rapid fire style uh, type of segment. Quick release. Try and get up out of here within the next 120 seconds or so. Feel free to elaborate as much as you personally would like to. Uh, let's go with the first question being, uh, ha, here's this one. Everybody's talking about Kate Cunningham, but we have seen two other freshmen that obviously have looked good and been playing, uh, extensively in the NCAA tournament. Uh, who do you have per se, if you were just starting a team, uh, who would you take coming out of this draft at number one? I love Suggs, man. Since Jalen Suggs played that first game in Kansas, he jumped out of the screen to me. It's not just his athleticism or his basketball IQ or his skills. His intangibles, man. He's a competitor. He's going to fight to win. He's tough. He's physical. He's smart. He's everything I want in a ball mm. guard. So I'm, I'm, I know Kate is great. Mobley's got a lot of potential. I'm a dude. I want everything Suggs is. That's what I want. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Plus, it helps that he's light-skinned. So we'll just go with that for now. <laughs> um, on this next one, yeah. here we go. Let's play a little bit of fill in the blank nobody's talking nearly enough about blank. It could be a team. It could be a player. It could be a coach. Who is nobody talking nearly enough about? Well, I'd give it now and say Gonzaga's defense because I think we, I think that just gets lost in the shuffle. I think we forget, mm -hmm. again, top 10, defensive efficiency, how they play, the connectedness of it, and the fact that they, they, may, I mean, they, they still will make it hard for you to score, and it's easy for them to score. That's what makes them a really good team. Hmm. Interesting. And that, you know what? That makes for a very good point, because I have been the person that's talking about the high octane offense by Gonzaga. And I'm not really sure well, about them it's, it's, from it's a, a defensive. I know, but I've been more questionable than everybody else about okay. it from a defensive standpoint. If I'm just okay. being honest, I don't okay. want to get up here on the program and fake the funk a little <laughs> bit. But I am going to keep my eyes open uh, yeah. on that Gonzaga defense a little bit more, especially as the competition gets a little bit heftier uh, going on. Uh, let's go and do a little bit more fill in the blank. Here we go. Uh, call it my chalkboard question of the day. It wouldn't surprise me if we see blank this weekend. What is that blank? Uh, what is the blank? I would say Baylor winter national championship. Hmm. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. And those are the two best teams. We wanted to see them. I wanted to see them a whole year. You got to take it away in December because of COVID. I think people may be looking past the fact that Baylor, I think, is about as equal as you're going to get to Gonzaga, and they could they could win it. And I wouldn't be that surprised by it, but I think a lot of folks would be. Okay. Just three more here with you, Dallin. Uh, let's go with a little bit of flying under the radar. Is there a player that's improved their draft stock the most, whether it be you know a player that was just within the NCAA tournament and they're not in it anymore, or one that is still existing, or both? That's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think of who would. Uh, I don't know if he's a pro, but I think like the way Dejan Giroux plays, because he can't shoot it. He's a pro, but the way he plays and how he affects the game in so many different ways, and he defends, mm -hmm. he can get in the lane, he can create a, a, off the bounce for himself and his teammates. He may have just put himself more on the map to, to be drafted, and, and if he make if he can make a three consistently, if he starts to mm -hmm. actually knock that down. Then he's, a, then he's a legitimate NBA problem. But um, that's a guy that I think will have more uh, visibility here in this coming weekend. 
Dejan Giroux, University of Houston, going to be taking on number one seed Baylor on Saturday. Uh, here's my last two, and I'm going to kind of try to group them together the best way that I possibly can. I see you on this Daily Wager show quite often, so I'm like, that sounds like a pretty cool idea. So I'm going to try and bite off uh, uh, of that just a little bit. Let's go with that first game. So from my understanding, and of course, I know a lot of this is going to fluctuate and so forth. This is what it looks like uh, as of now, me checking this morning. Is there particularly one of these spreads or uh, money lines or over-unders that kind of seems ideal or that you would probably take or at least consider? Yeah, I'm going I'm to I'm take Baylor minus five. I, I, just, I do think they're a superior team and that Houston is not going to see it, has not seen a team like them and, and will be a little bit shaken by it. And their ability to inability to score will be the problem. The over-under I think is interesting at 135. But I do because because Houston is they're both really good defensive teams. So I, mm -hmm. I'm going to take the line for sure, and then I'm going to contemplate an under if I played it. I think it would be a game played. Baylor maybe in the low 70s, uh, Houston in the mid 60s um, that gets you to the to the around you know maybe just shy of 135. It'd be tight. I don't love that, but I like the line more. That's what we do here on this program. Try and help the people get, get people their bills. Yeah. Try and get try and get try and get some people's bills paid a yeah. little bit. And now on the opposite side of that, where you do have Gonzaga in the uh, nightcap, the second game of the doubleheader uh, against UCLA. What are your thoughts on this one? This is tough, man, because I got I've gotten burned by Zag a number of times in Zag's tournament <laughs> here. Because like the Oklahoma game was 15 and a half. I took Oklahoma because I thought it was so many points. And then there was a bad beat. I'm not going to recount it, but I still have not recovered from that that situation. <laughs> Flagrant foul. Intentionals in the last minute. It's brutal. Um, but then, of course, great Creighton was a 13-point spread. And they put it on Creighton. And then last night was the first time I'm like, yo, they're going to – I took them in. I took Zags in the first half. So you don't have it up here. But I do think – I got to look the number, actually. I haven't looked at it yet. You can bet first halves. And there's okay. a spread will be different for the first half. It's usually – I'd probably say maybe nine points. Um mm. But the reason I like the first half of Zags because you know you're going to get their best. You see that they, they'll throttle down on the second if they have to, which they did against USC. But you're going to get their best, and they're great at putting in flurries late in halves. They put teams, whether it's a two- or three-point game, that last under, immediate, under four immediate timeout. They are great coming out of that and putting it to like 10. Or if it's six, to put it to 15 and put you to bed. And that's, that's mm -hmm. kind of how they, they've done that all year long. They've trailed the half only twice. So if you see a line that's seven, eight, nine for the first half, Zaga, I would lay those points. 14 is a bit high because we don't even know if they're going to be playing the last 10 minutes. It, it's just, it seems it's tough for me to make that, that, that judgment. Same with the over-under. So I, I like the halftime spread or even maybe halftime over-under because you know you're going to get the best from them in the 20 minutes. Now, that makes perfect sense, man. Appreciate you for coming on. Listen, Dallin Cuff, broadcaster and college basketball studio analyst for ESC, ESPN. Go and give him a follow at Dallin Cuff. That is at D-A-L-E-N-C-U-F-F. Uh, appreciate you. I know that we talked a little bit about Indy and you're not going to be able to make it out. So I'm super bummed, dude. But whenever you make it into Atlanta, maybe we can go get some some lemon pepper wings, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Let me know, man. We can hook up and grab a couple uh, a couple Pepsis, if you will. I feel you. I don't I don't want I don't want to be negative toward Indy, but Atlanta's a way better town. So maybe when I, when I will <laughs> be in ATL once this pandemic is over, 100 percent I'll hit you up. We'll get up. All right. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thank All you right. for coming on. Anytime. All right, good deal. That's my dude, Dallin Cuff, man. Appreciate him for uh, jumping in with us and kind of de definitely contributing uh, to the show and whatnot. Always grateful and uh, overly appreciative uh, that he had the chance to do that. And, of course, even for some of those who were even uh, throwing some of the uh, Todd Quarter. How about my dude, Todd Quarter, man, checking in and uh, showing some love. 
definitely talking a little bit about some of the X factors during the segment, talking about Tiger Campbell being an X factor. And then obviously as well, uh, talking about Jalen Suggs being the best player from Gonzaga and that he is definitely NBA bound one day. And I am all over that in terms of what Dallin Cuff said in terms of, you know, who to take number one in the draft. And I think that, that you know, Gonzaga still playing in the NCAA tournament is only going to help that case made by uh, Jalen Suggs to maybe be considered and taken number one. Who knows my Detroit Pistons or something. I don't know. I'm just keeping fingers crossed at this point. Uh, appreciate everybody for checking out the pod, man. Remember to go and, you know, tell a friend, tell it. Tell, tell your friends, tell your enemies, tell your mama, tell your grandmama, tell your baby mama where they can find the best, the most entertaining, the most informational and the most educational basketball content on the planet in the form of a podcast. That would be no place other than Tate's Take where basketball lives. T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S um, where, um, where basketball lives, obviously, and follow along on all social media platforms. Go and subscribe. Go and subscribe, leave up to a five-star rating. Uh, also leave a review, if you will. Uh, that always kind of helps out a little bit, lets me know exactly where we're at and how much you're really enjoying uh, the program and whatnot. So appreciate all of you who have done that already. For those of you who are going to do that in the future, I'm overly thankful of that and looking forward to, I think we have Tim Brando tomorrow. I feel like we have Tim Brando tomorrow for episode 73, uh, but even more so, I know that we're going to be super busy right here on Taste Takes. So that's another reason why you want to go and subscribe. Don't just be scrolling through and it's like, oh, Deshaun's live on Periscope or oh, Deshaun's live on YouTube or oh, Deshaun's live on Facebook. You know, if you just hit the subscribe button, I promise you it takes less than 30 seconds unless you got an Obama phone and that's that's not my fault. Uh, if you just go and subscribe, takes less than 30 seconds. You can just get a notification every single time you go live if you're enjoying the program. Uh, and then that way, uh, you can be able to plug and play every single time, especially from Indianapolis this weekend. Going to be taking off within the next couple of days, going down there, checking out the environment, the atmosphere and so forth. Can't be the, the, the college basketball dude and you're not in the college basketball spot. Right. Of course not. So uh, look forward to uh, to some really super dope interviews and guests that are going to be coming up and so forth. Really good content uh, when that takes place from Indy. So appreciate everybody for checking out the pod and I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye.